Today's episode of The Leaf Report is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla, for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting. Join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to leafreport.robinhood.com. That's leafreport.robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. James, it is a bi-week edition of the Leaf Report Pod. How you doing? You feel relaxed? Yeah, I like the bi-week. It's good to get a little mental break from watching three or four Leafs games every week. So it's a uh, it's a t- it's a period of reflection. You and I aren't <laughs> going to we're not going to the All Star game, so we don't have to go to frigid St. Louis. We get to it's good. You know, I get to put my kids to bed every night and. And I've uh, been working on some good stuff. I know you've been working on some good stuff. And, you know, I'm going to be, we're going to be pumped up here for the uh, the push to the trade deadline the next month. Well, would you prefer this idea of like just sprinkling less games, I guess, throughout the year instead of having this concentrated week off for teams? No chance. I mean, I can see why the teams are saying that. Like the the sprinkling of games mixed in was the way it used to be, right? Like like they didn't Yeah. They didn't make the season any longer. It's the same number of days. They just put a break in the middle of it. And what that does is it ultra condenses the other weeks on the schedule. So you know, I think I can't remember that. I remember I did the math when they first started doing it, but you know, it used to be that there were three point one games a week or something. And then if you put in the bye week and the all-star you're pulling those days out, and then that number rises to three point whatever a higher number, and you can see like the, it makes the travel harder, and it makes you know you end up with some 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 tough trips and things like that. But but like for me personally, I mean having having this pause in the middle of the year, it's 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 fantastic. It's kind of you can you can catch your breath, and you can you know you can think about more than who they're playing that night or that or <laughs> or the next or the next day. Well, and I think it must be good for teams in situations like the Leafs are in right now where you're kind of going through a bit of a funk and yet you get this week off where you can kind of step back from it and then really charge up for the playoff push. Um, But before we get to like what's going on with the team lately, just a couple all-star questions, queries, conversations we can have. Well, Jonas, I just want to, we should say at the top, Jeff Jeff O'Neill is going to be joining us on the podcast. Uh, He's going to come in here in probably 15 or 20 minutes. And it's, I mean, it's the biggest guest we've had on here yet. No offense, Mark Masters. But, you know, it's one of the things. Wait, wait, wait. What about CJ? 
one of the things we want to try and do with with the podcast is is get more guests and we put out a call asking for feedback from listeners who they wanted to have on and Jeff was one of the most requested people so you know we asked him a couple of days ago and he's and he's happy to do it because I know I know he loves the podcast so <laughs> it'll uh, it'll be a lot of fun there's a 0.0% chance that he has ever listened to the podcast well, I remember in there, didn't he, he was making fun of it like a couple of years ago, right? Like he used to, he used to kind of give you some digs about it and stuff like that. Yes. But I, I think there's 0% chance. I think you are, it's neck and neck, I think, between him and Chris Johnson for the biggest guest that we've had. CJ is a pretty big fish. Don't discount uh, well, him. Je- Jeff played for the Leafs. Didn't he score 40 uh, goals? Didn't he score 40 goals one year? Like he's, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Chris. You're going to have to. We got uh, we got a real celebrity coming through. Okay, so we will talk to Jeff O'Neill. We got lots of stuff to talk to to O Dog about. Do you call him O O Dog Jeff? What do you call him? I call him Dogger. Oh, okay. <laughs> There's a, a whole Curb Your Enthusiasm episode about that, I believe. Oh, okay. I'll have to watch. Um, so anyway, all star questions. Um, one thing I was wondering, and I, I was thinking about. If you're predicting like where this is going to go, do you think William Nylander will ever be an all-star if the current format stays as is? It's possible just because, you know, injuries are a big factor. And I mean, Joffrey Lupo was an all-star and like no offense to Joffrey Lupo. Leo Komarov was an all-star. Like it's it's very cyclical. And and you never know, like maybe at some point William Nylander ends up on a different team. And I mean, do you mean, does he end up on the all-star for all-star team as as a leaf i mean because yeah that's what i'm think, asking I, I yeah i think it's possible i mean he's not that far off the top guys for the leafs this year in terms of goals per game points per game you know he's he's right there the challenge is that matthews is always gonna unless he's hurt put up these really gaudy numbers and yeah. you know <laughs> matthews is gonna go to a lot of all-star games is this his third or his fourth one four i mean he, yeah, so he's been to every single one since he's been in the league. It's, um, but I mean, the Leafs have three guys this year. I don't see any reason why next year it couldn't be, you know, three forwards or you know, or maybe it's Riley Nylander, Matthews next year. I mean, who you know, it's when you're a, a high scoring team and you have a lot of fans that can vote people in as as the last man in. You're going to have a lot of All Star games where you have two or three guys there. I guess why I'm asking is because I feel like he is going to become a victim of the way that the the roster is set up. Like I would argue he has had a better year to date than Mitch Marner. He's had a better year to date than Frederick Anderson. Now, the Anderson thing is a little different just because he's a goalie and the goalies in the Atlantic have not been very good. Well, and Anderson's fallen way off since they made the decision too, right? True. Like they True, decided like, he was on the they decided he was on the team when his numbers were much better than they are right now. A hundred percent. But I just look at it like if, if this is not a year when he's going and you're you're probably max getting three, like you're only getting four if your team is like running away with the league, which like is or, or if you host it point. or if you if host, you host it. the all star. Yeah, like I think he should be an all star this year. But I guess with the way that the, the format is with how few players with every team needing a player and teams like maxing out at three, basically, and the Leafs having lots of candidates and Marner and Matthews are, are probably going to be there. You know what I mean? Like it, it just feels like it creates like a real tough position for Neilander to be in year after year after year. But like, this is only the start. Like he could, you know, this is what he's at 
as a 23 year old, like what he becomes at 25, maybe it's a different version of this. Maybe he's top 10 in the league in scoring. So maybe it, it changes. It just feels like he's going to run up against the limits of the all-star setup. Jonas, don't argue with the fans. They voted Marner in. That's who they wanted. They went through due process. You didn't campaign hard enough for Nylander <laughs> to get more votes, so he's not going. So this this sounds like sour grapes from, from a big Nylander backer here. It's not. Yeah, it, I hope it doesn't sound like sour <laughs> grapes because that's not what I intended it to be. I, I I just don't know how you... you. The thing is, like, Marner's had a, 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 an interesting year. Like, the numbers look awesome. And yet it hasn't felt the same way. Maybe it's because he's playing with Matthews and, and the way Matthews scores is so like you're you're so drawn by how he shoots and how he scores that you kind of forget a little bit about the setup sometimes. I, I don't think, know if that I makes think sense. Since Marner's been back from since Marner's been playing under Keefe, I think he's been fantastic. Like Yeah, he's, he's been one of the most productive players in the league. He's been outstanding. So I yeah, he had a bit of a slow start, and part of that was Tavares had a slow start and I mean that that happens, and then you mix in the injury, and I got I have absolutely no problem with Marner going. I mean points per game league wide, he's one of the the top guys in the league. So, and and I think that there's a lot to be said for how strong that chemistry is with Matthews and Marner, and part of the reason that Matthews is has elevated beyond where he was is he's playing with Marner and not Nylander, and that's an argument in favor of that that Marner's had, you know, that impact. So I see what you're saying. Like Nylander's had a good year; he's on pace for. What thirty five goals, something like? I mean, that's on a lot of teams that makes you an all star. But when you're one of the highest scoring teams in the league, maybe not. I, I think Nylander will go though at some point. So I'm not sure I buy. You and I are are going to look into this a little further, but I'm not sure I buy that Matthews has been. I don't know. I don't know how much of the effect of what we're seeing with Matthews and Marner is the Keefe effect, and how much of it is Marner with Matthews. If that makes I'm going to write about this because if like. I've looked at it a little bit, and when I wrote about um, why Matthews is on pace for so many goals, um, I didn't go into this deep enough, but I think the different line combination has really helped him. I mean, if you look at the the with or without you analytics and, and things like that, every time Matthews is with Marner, it, there's there's a bump there. Yeah, and but you're you're looking at it. You're looking at it right now when they've had this stretch under Keith. What I'm saying is how much of this is. The bump from Keefe, like how can you look at the numbers of Matthews and Neander in, in, in contrast to Matthews and Marner when Matthews and Marner have spent their longest stint together under Keefe where the offense has been completely different? True, but the thing is, is that it's a consistent trend going back previous seasons too. It's that not. When, that's not when, true. I don't buy that. It, when you look at when the minutes that Marner and Matthews have had together in previous seasons, it's it's pretty impressive. So, those are stupid. Those are stupid numbers, James. Like I can't I can't believe you're citing those numbers. Those were like they would play together for five minutes in in one period and then wouldn't play together for months. Like I don't know how you can use those numbers and and I don't think it's a controversial hot them. take to say that. Marner's one of the highest assist producers in the NHL the last couple of years. Yeah. And it's it's not it's not unreasonable to suggest that he might be good for Austin Matthews. So I, I maybe this will be an article we can write that's like a more of a debate piece. But I was thinking of just like showing the impact that I mean we do need more of a sample size of them playing together. Like that that's that's the cav that's a caveat I would say. But we have years of data of Matthews playing with with Neander. Yeah, but what I'm saying is we need some data where Matthews is playing with Neander under Keefe is what I'm saying. And but this like, is and the but, other thing is like this is a different version of Neander than we've seen before. 
but the like the the offensive production was pretty high under in some of those years under Babcock the previous couple of years. Like it's not True. like the the Leafs were like. I mean, I, I think a big part of what we're seeing, like Nylander's on the top power play unit. Like that hasn't really happened that much, and that's a big driver of his numbers coming up. I mean, I think it's it's a good thing. I mean, it's not a slight to Nylander. I mean, Nylander's chemistry with John Tavares is there, right? So it's some people I think. I know some people accused Nylander, especially last year, that he was kind of just a passenger and he could only produce when he played with Matthews. You know, I don't, I don't think that's true. Obviously, I don't either. Um, so before we get to to the O dog, let's talk a little bit about what's going on with the Leafs uh, as they are in the bye week. One thing I'm uh, like I was struggling with after that game uh, against Chicago, the last game before the break, is obviously they are in a funk. But I started to think, like, as I was I was writing the story and at the game and thinking about things, like, how much of this is just a normal rhythm of the year where, like, you, you win 15 to 20, you're as hot as can be, you're scoring a lot, you're getting by with, with not so great goaltending, and then you kind of get into a little funk for a few games, your 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 defense is, is dinged up, your goaltending is still bad, and you lose five to six, like... I'm worried sometimes that like we overreact to the the lows just as maybe we overreact to the highs. Yeah, well, there's and and you got to be careful in hockey because there's like it's there's a lot of things that are happening that there's there's randomness thrown into it. There's injuries thrown into it, and you know if you look at a team's PDO and shooting percentage on a rolling average, it goes all over the place, right? It's bouncing up and down all season and. You know, a lot of the coverage, especially traditionally, if you go back a few years ago, even, you know, it's kind of just like chasing these percentage binges that like that as they change and and the narrative is changing over and over and over again. And you're right. I mean, it's like, you know, after 20 games, Keith's a genius and he's fixed everything. And then now it, what are we at? Like 20, is it 26 games under Sheldon Keefe? I think that's what it is. So it's six games later and everyone's like, oh, this system doesn't work. You know, it's too offensive. It's not... But, I mean, they're missing two of their best D, and Anderson hasn't played well. And part of what we were seeing that first 20 games under Keefe is that the Leafs' shooting percentage was like crazy high. It was like 13-some percent over a long stretch of time. They're just, they weren't going to be able to maintain that. It wasn't going to keep happening. So they weren't going to be able to continue to consistently outscore their goaltending issues. And what they really needed was Anderson to find his game, and, and he hasn't yet. So I think that's the real narrative is that, they're missing two of their best defensemen, and and Anderson struggled. And I don't know that. And as far as Keith's system working or not working or being the problem or not being the problem, I mean, it's it's a bit early to to decide that. Well, I I think you're bang on, and I think like Anderson is is one thing we should talk about for a minute or two after I pose this query related to the defense, like. I think it's pretty hard to suddenly ask Dermot and Hall to be your top pair and for Sandine and CeCe to be your second pair. Like just that alone would would seem to decrease your chances of success. You know what I'm you know what I'm saying? Well, yeah. I mean, like it it's it's subtracting from the area of the greatest weakness on this team. Yeah. Two of the most experienced, most talented players that play the most minutes. You know, Muzzin's a real... Look at how good Justin Hall looked playing with Muzzin. Like, they were able to shut down Connor McDavid in Edmonton. 
Yeah. And like, like you can't expect someone else to step in there. You can't expect a Marinchin or a CC or someone to step into those minutes and you're going to get the same level of success. I mean, Dermot, Dermot's was hurt the end of last year, the start of this season. Uh, he's, is he 23? I think he just turned 23 last month. Um, and he's only played third pair minutes in the NHL, you know, and, you know, I was looking at some of the numbers and Dermot's numbers are interesting. Like his numbers, the amount that he's played on the penalty kill looks, looks really good. And which is a positive sign because last year he struggled on the penalty kill. And like, there are some positive signs for him, but of course there are going to be growing pains when you're putting this many young defensemen into situations like even Justin Hall hasn't played in situations like this where he's playing against other teams' top lines, never mind with an inexperienced partner. Yes. So Rasmus Sandin's not experienced. Martin Marinchin is what he is. Cody Cece is what he is. It's it's it it's really the Leafs could weather the storm of losing two of their best forwards much, much better. And I mean we saw it early in the year, then losing two of their best defensemen. I mean, without question. Yeah, that was very well said. And and I think to to go off on another tangent. This would give me, not only if I'm Kyle Dubas, but if I'm another management team and I'm looking for D in the summer, this, this, the way this looks would give me real pause about signing Tyson Berry long-term. Because, like, I mean, if he's going to be one of my highest-paid defensemen and I can't use him in serious minutes when I have injuries, let alone, like, when everyone's healthy, that kind of, like, is a, is a little... Scary to me if that, well, if that you know what I'm you know what I'm saying I know what never, he brings he's That's never not, been a he's never yeah. been a tough minute guy like he's the good news is that since Keith has been the coach Tyson Berry's one of the highest scoring defensemen in the NHL and that's mm-hmm. not just all power play that's there's a lot of even strength offense there yeah. and his expected goals numbers have come way up and I Tyson Berry has value but he he's got to be a second pair guy and and a top power play unit guy that's why the beginning of the season when they weren't using Tyson Berry on the first power play unit to me made no sense at all because that's one of the reasons why you get a guy like that. Like that's his value is, is offense. So he should be a guy you're given lots of offensive zone starts and lots of time on the power play. And any team that signs him, like some of the, the road trips I've been on this year and some of the teams I've talked to this year are really intrigued by the idea of adding Tyson Berry because they don't have a defenseman like that. And I think that, what you're saying is true, but it's only true because the Leafs have other players like that. Like they could put Dermot or Sandine or Riley or even Muzzin can play on the power play. Like they have guys that could do it. Other teams don't have that guy. And they're right. looking at Tyson Berry and they're like, man, I wish I had a Tyson Berry. There are yeah. other, you know, like when he was really struggling and it looked like he wanted out and it looked like it wasn't going to work. I was talking to other teams and they were like, well, do you think they'll move him? And like they like they were excited about that idea. So. He's going to get suitors. I don't know. Like coming into the season, the numbers on Barry were like eight million a year long term and stuff like that. I mean, I don't, I don't know if he's going to be able to get that or not. It's going to depend what the market looks like and what other defensemen. There are quite a few defensemen, but being a right shot D who can put up nearly a point a game from the blue line and quarterback a top power play unit, it's not nothing. Yeah. Well, I'm not still. Totally sold that he is better on the power play than Morgan Riley, but that's a separate conversation. I was just going through uh, like contracts. You and I are working on some stuff for trade deadline. Jacob Truba got like eight a year for seven years. So like I know he's younger, a different type of defenseman, but like he Tyson Berry is going to get paid by someone. I don't know what it looks like. 
Maybe because he's older, that changes the conversation a little bit. Maybe because his numbers will be down, that changes the conversation a little bit. But he's going to get more than they're going to be willing to pay here. It seems like the NHL right now is in this period where defensemen are starting to get... Like, teams are really worried if you don't have the veteran defense. Like, it seems like defensemen are getting big contracts right now. And... And like, look, look at the older defensemen that have signed huge contracts that haven't worked out. Like, it's it's starting to be a, become a problem. But if you're a general manager, I you're just you're really worried about ending up in a situation like the Leafs are right now, where you've got a lot of young guys and 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 you look bad on some well, nights. You know what, James? Like, it's it's such a good point. Like, we I think we did this last week with the goaltenders. Like, look at the I'm just looking at the t- the highest paid defensemen in the league. They're all overpaid. Eric Carlson overpaid. Drew Doughty. Probably overpaid. P.K. Subban overpaid. Oliver Ekman Larson, probably yeah. overpaid. Brent Burns overpaid. John Carlson's probably properly paid. Truba overpaid. Hedman underpaid, probably. You know what I mean? Like it's just it's it's and, and a lot of these guys like they're they're either over thirty or approaching thirty. So yeah, and I mean that's the the problem is is that. The league is getting younger and younger, but players are yeah. getting to free agency at 28, 29, 30 years old. And if you're a team that has a big hole and you've got a lot of cap space, <laughs> that's that like you can see why it happens. And there's a lot yeah, of GMs, there's a lot of GMs that are GMing for their jobs. So, yeah. you know, I Toronto is fortunate that I don't they don't they have one they don't have one of those who's doing that. Um but, you know, I was looking at their cap situation last night actually for next year and They've got room to add a, a a big number on defense, whether that's Muzzin or somebody else. It's just a matter of what makes sense. Okay, James, we'll get to the O-Dog in just a couple minutes. Um, so before we get to Jeff and, and get into Anderson, get into his career, playing, media, um, I don't know how to feel about like this. It's, it's kind of like what we were just talking about. I don't know what to think of this Anderson stretch. Other than it's it's longer than the usual dips, and yet we know from some of the stuff that, that Dom has shown in charts, you've shown in charts, I think I've written about it, like he is an inconsistent in-season goalie. Like you look at his numbers at the end of the year, and they basically always look the same. But in-season, he's very up and down. So is this just another down, do you think? Or, or would you be more concerned if you're the Leafs? I mean, I don't know. It's like trying to predict goaltending is like trying to predict. I was going to say like weather patterns, but I think you can probably predict the weather better than you can predict goaltending. Like it's <laughs> the Leafs have to hope that Frederick Anderson ends a year around nine eighteen because that would mean that he finishes a season on on a heater and wins them a lot of games over the last two months of the season. But I don't know. I don't know how you can count on that and. We talked about this lots. I think we talked about this on the podcast last week. Like, this is why I like to have another goaltender that you can count on because sometimes you don't know. Like, sometimes the guy's hurt. Sometimes he's inconsistent. Sometimes he struggles. Sometimes whatever. It's good to have another option, and the Leafs just don't have one. And, you know, I I don't know. I mean, my guess is that the Leafs either add a backup before the deadline or they make it more of a priority in the offseason. I think they're going to have – a little bit more cap flexibility to spend on the backup goaltender next year. Um, you know, their forward lineup is fairly set. Even if they decide to keep everybody, they can fit that in cap wise. Um, defense obviously is in flux with the three guys being UFA, but um, 
you know, I, I think that if they want to spend one and a half or two or two and a half million on a backup, I think that they can next year. I think that that's more possible than it was this season. And I think they probably should if, you know, if they can find someone they like. Well, I think they're in a better position because now they have a bit more certainty about things. Like they were in that position last summer where they had no idea. Like they had obviously some idea, but they didn't know exactly where the Mitch Marner contract was going to land. And so that like creates when you're so tight and you don't know whether it's going to be 10.5 or 10.8 or 10, that makes things more difficult. The the thing with Anderson like that that's interesting to me right now is is they don't seem to know it seems like they're trying to figure out how to handle him. Uh, like Sheldon Keith mentioned at one point earlier this month, like we're wondering whether, you know, they were wondering whether he was playing too much. And then they started to think, well, maybe he needs to play a lot. Like maybe he's one of those guys who needs to play every other night to kind of keep himself in rhythm. Like it, it, it kind of feels a little, I don't remember it feeling this unstable with Anderson in previous years, maybe that's just recency bias. Like that's just what I'm thinking now. But this feels more tenuous than it than it has, and maybe it's because the the, the Leafs are in a different position now, like where their playoff positioning is not guaranteed. Well, and also like they've got their, you know, as we talked about, the defense isn't where the, what they want it to be in terms right. of comp- composition. So, I mean, how much? How much do you buy that Sheldon Keefe's system is giving up too many odd man rushes and that's why Anderson's struggling and that's why they're allowing so many goals? I'm not sure I buy that just because if you look at, yes, yes, those are happening. But if you look at some of the goals that he's giving up, yeah, it's not just those situations. It's situations where you look at the goal and you're like, he should have stopped that. Like he had a chance to stop it. Like it's not just that he's giving up all these breakaways and they're going in. He's giving up shots that he normally stops. It's. It, I, I tried to get into this last week. It's. It's a hard thing to quantify how much is just because like we don't have data that's good enough. Like we don't have. I wish the NHL instead of counting crappy stuff like hits and <laughs> take takeaways and giveaways. I wish they counted like odd man rushes. I wish they counted like imagine if they had stats for like players that were on the ice for breakaways, two on ones, three on twos. Like yeah. Like if they had someone up there just counting that stuff. That'd be fascinating. Like, imagine all that you could do with that, you know, and like, and and like some more nuanced information on on scoring chances and some better shot location data. And you know, we're gonna get there in the NHL. It's it's been. It, I mean, I feel like I've been saying that for five six years, um, but we're just not there yet. So it's so what what happens is that. Um, a lot of, you know, you listen to a lot of sports talk radio or you watch TV in, in Toronto and a lot of the pundits are saying Sheldon Keefe's system is too, because there's been a lot of talk about the puck possession system, about the free-flowing offense, about what they're trying to do in the neutral zone, all this kind of thing. And a lot of people are blaming that philosophy for the fact that they're giving up so many goals right now. And I'm I'm not sure that that's as much of what's happening as as is being argued. I would agree. And and just like look at some of these. So these are season long statistics, five on five. Uh I'm I've got the goalies who played a thousand minutes. These are this is where Frederick Anderson ranks. And again, five on five. Save percentage twenty second. Goals saved above average. Let's see. It is he is now in the negative twenty second. High danger save percentage. He is twenty third. So 
I don't know. You look at the guys at the top of, of some of these lists. These are some of the, the guys who are having really good years. And what's interesting is like when we were in December, he was right near the top of a lot of these categories. It's funny though, Jonas, you talk to NHL goalies about that stuff and they hate all the goalie stats. They, 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 I, I've they, talked to him about it. Yeah, I th- they, what he, he thinks, doesn't he like. He thinks they're crap, right? Like, well, yeah. he doesn't like, he thinks that there's too much randomness to it. And I said to him like, yeah, but it's going to even out. And he said, does it? And so, like, maybe, maybe I don't know, you would think over a course of a year, you're going to, it's going to kind of average itself out. Yeah, and I, I think that there's some truth to that for sure. I mean, the other thing, too, is, I mean, look, Michael Hutchinson has played a lot better lately with under the Keefe system. Like, mm, I don't know about that. His number, well, come on, look how he played in the first few games of the season. He had saying, one good saying game. Hutchinson's, I don't know that he's... Saying Hutchinson's played better is, like, it, it was a low bar for him to clear. Fine. He's played better than he did, but, like, I'm not any more confident in him no, than No, I'm not before. saying he's a great goalie. I'm just saying if it's the system and Keefe and uh, w- yeah. the, what, what he's making them do, then shouldn't Hutchinson be getting blown up worse than ever? Yeah, well, it, it doesn't feel like you can kind of have it both ways. Like you can't, I don't know, with the with the, the, the differing styles between Mike Babcock and, and Sheldon Keefe. But you know what's going to happen. It's like if I, this season's going to come down to if they make the playoffs. I, I mean, obviously the expectations are more than just make it. But it, like if, if they make the playoffs, there's going to be like, well, Sheldon Keefe helped save the season and this new system yeah. worked and it fit the personnel. And if they miss the playoffs then it's going to be the complete opposite. This didn't work. And Kyle Dubas is going to have to reevaluate the way that he builds a team and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the difference between making the playoffs and missing the playoffs, it could come down to one point. It could come down yeah. to like, it could come down to one shootout win or, you know, we've been looking at the the travel schedule for the rest of the year and we've been changing some things. And, you know, <clears throat> I've decided I'm going to go on, go on a little bit more, travel towards the end of the year and like all of a sudden those games right at the end of the season are going to become so important for this team and it's almost going to be like that's going to set the narrative for what the way people are going to talk about how this season went even though it's a little bit more complicated than that well can we talk about that for a second before we get to jeff like so there's this (coughs) this idea and you and i've maybe brought it up ourselves but there's this idea that this is going to be a referendum of sorts on whether you can play this way quote unquote and i guess this way means a team that is basing itself almost entirely on skill. How come we don't have referendums on the teams that that build their teams the same way? Don't win. Like whoever, every year, like most teams aren't winning, aren't successful doing it this one way that just about everybody does. How come we don't have referendums on that? Does that make any sense? Do you know what I'm trying to say? Well, I, I think part of it is that People look at like St. Louis won last year and they're a lot different than the Leafs and they beat Boston and Boston's beat the Leafs last few years. And like we haven't had a Stanley Cup winner in the last couple of years that's been a small skilled team. We have definitely had them in the last 15 years. There's been a bunch of them. Um, I mean, Detroit, Detroit was a some of the Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, some of the Pittsburgh teams were certainly Chicago had some teams like that. And now, like, they weren't the biggest teams, but they had some grit mixed in with their skill. Probably more grit than the Leafs do, right? And that's probably where... But I don't know. I mean, like, look at the way Tampa's built and look at the season they're having. And, you know, it, I don't know. And, I, I mean, people are going to say, well, Tampa lost in the first round last year. I mean, it, there's there's a lot of 
there's a lot of noise in all of this, right? Like there's no, yes. but it, it's, it's, it's going to be interpreted that way. You know, it is like if they, if they miss the playoffs, that's the way people are going to talk about this team. Okay. I think we got the O-Dog on the line. All right, Jeff, I'm like so pleased and surprised that you agreed to come on our stupid little podcast. So thank you for coming on. Why are you surprised, Jonas? I thought I don't know because it's like I, I know we joke. I know we joke around, and uh, ultimately, you and James and myself might have different views of what goes on. But I think at the end of the day, we're probably I mean, we're not colleagues, but we're we're friends at least. This is the thing that I think some people, like some fans, don't understand: is that they look at you disagreeing with us or saying different things than us and think that we hate each other and there's this feud or this animosity and it's, uh, it's never been that way. And no, that's, I sleep that's, very, when you say something that I don't agree with James, I sleep very well at night. It's just, we don't <laughs> agree. And that's that. It's, it's, but, I don't, people are, you know what people are like though. They're like, Oh, every time there's a disagreement between like maybe a former player and an analytics person, it's like, Oh, grabbing some popcorn. I'm like, what? This isn't a, this isn't a fight. This is just a disagreement. But it's like that with a lot of it's not it's sometimes it's former players who enter the media and sometimes it's not. And like there there are I don't know, like I'm sure Jonas has felt it. I've gotten it too from from people and other people in the media that disagree with us. It's just like kind of a I don't know, like I said, like an animosity. And it's never been that way with you. Like you've always been super friendly and you've been supportive of us and I, I don't yeah, know. There's it's, only sometimes you just raise an eyebrow. It's like there's you know, uh, when Kyle Dubas came out and mentioned like how Cody CC was, you know, he's been, you know, don't think about the results. His numbers are great. And all I know about that is I got to sit on the booth and then break down the goal of what happened. And the majority of times when he was on the ice, he was doing something that caused a goal. So I'm thinking, how the hell can this be? Maybe I wasn't a very good defensive player either, but maybe I should go back and see how awesome my numbers were. Well, and like Jonas and I don't just go look at the Corsi chart and say, like, I've been criticizing CC all year, even though, like, regardless of what the numbers say, like, he's so anyway, I don't know. He's what were you going to ask, Jonas? Well, so I was going to ask, like, along those lines, Jeff, like, it's it's a perfect segue. What do you think, like, is something that maybe James or I fans like you've been in the league, you've played. It doesn't even have to do with numbers. What do you think is something that we maybe underestimate or don't understand that you would understand just having been in the league, played games, know what that pressure feels like. What's something like you think we take for granted or don't get fully? Um, I actually just think just the overall picture numbers. It's like I understand you want to have the puck and and possess the puck and be well skating and fast. And But if you look at the teams that win, if you can't be physical and there's just I, – like I just – I don't know. When I look at your guys' stuff, there's never like – hits or the least don't hit it's like i don't know how you expect to win without some kind of element of physicality in your lineup and that's one thing that always will boggle my mind about kyle's philosophy and brendan's it's like if this is the team that you want to build i mean detroit back in the day when i played they had to puck the whole game but they also had chelios and mccarty and draper and malpy and different guys that would hit like you gotta it's it's, it's a physical battle in the playoffs and if you want to blow teams out in the regular season and get there and then maybe flip the switch, you can do that. But I don't see the personnel to do that. So, Jeff, do you think it's the way that the team's built and the system they're trying to play? Do you think it's fundamentally flawed? Like, you just don't think that it's, it's ever going to work? Like, isn't isn't the NHL changing from when you played, though? Like, isn't this becoming more the reality? I understand that. I understand that. And, and when Peter Laviolette took over in Carolina, 
they played a high-paced game because he's always like push it forward, pinch, pinch. And Cam Ward, and I think it was Martin Gerber was the other guy, they were always there to make the save. So maybe this way is a way to win, but at the end of the day, it, you're really relying on Freddie Anderson to be the first star for your team, whether that Matthews has got three goals or not, because you're going to be giving up chances. And if he doesn't make the saves, when the goalie makes the save, it's fun. It's like, yeah, we, we outskated them and we out, we out uh, talented them. But when the goalie doesn't make the save, it's like you guys were reckless. So that's the fine line that this team is on right now from my perspective. Well, so do you think that's because, like, so you get into the playoffs, like you mentioned, like you need like some physical presence. Do you think it's because you get into the playoffs and suddenly like everyone is is dialed up like to whatever, 110. And so suddenly to win a puck back, your chances of winning the puck back, you're going to have to be, you're going to have to out physical the guy who has the puck. Is that what it is? Well, I just know, Jonas, if you're in a seven game series, you would just say to the Leafs, get it down low because they don't know how to defend or they're not very physical defending so you can have your way down there. Right. Because if a team's not physical, like back in the day against New Jersey Devils, and this is going way back and it's not even a real comparison, but you didn't have a whole lot of cycle time because Scott Stevens and Ken Danico were out there and the puck wasn't in their end very long. But they also had other guys like Niedermeyer, and Rafalski and different skill guys that would get the puck out different ways. But if you, if you don't have any kind of physical element to protect your goaltender from having pucks and, and great scoring chances, I don't know. I just don't think over a seven-game series against a quality team that's big and strong like St. Louis or Washington, I don't think you're going to have much of a chance to win. I think there's a misconception, Jeff, that the analytics people don't like the physicality or grit or whatever. Like, like Jake Jake Muzzin's an example of like that's the most physical player the Leafs have, and the analytics the analytics people love him, and the eye test toughness people love him, and the Leafs are trying to re-sign him. Um, I, like, I, and if you talk to analytics people, you know who the their favorite player is. You know who they think the be, one of the best players in the league is. I mean, it's going to be the same as it's Patrice Bergeron. You know, like analytics people love the way that Boston plays. They're very high on the way that a team like Boston plays St. Louis is a team when they were last in the league, a lot of analytics people were saying this team's way better than people are saying. I don't know necessarily that it's like a, I, I like, I think to be a good possession player, you have to be a gritty. Well, you don't necessarily have to be, but it certainly helps. Like, well, I don't think James and to play anywhere in the NHL, if you don't have some kind of grit element to you, and I know that's a cliche term, but it's a competition sport, right? And, Regardless of numbers that anybody can produce, I always believe it's a series of one-on-one battles that are in the game. And generally, the team that wins the most of the one-on-one battles will win the hockey game. So if you, have, you can have the puck, but if you lose and you don't want to compete to get it back, I don't really know how much that good does for anybody. So, well, like, so that, we, go ahead, I, I was just going to say, like, how, much, what, how much room is there for the, the Nylanders and Marners and Tavares and Matthews? Like, like that's... Like, like you can win with those guys, right? I mean, maybe they just need different complementary parts around them. Yeah, like I think of those guys, but I also think of a guy like Austin Matthews and uh, William Nylander, and I'm not saying the least would be in on Chris Kreider, and maybe the Rangers want to keep Chris Kreider, but I think the element of a Chris Kreider who can still play the game but is a pain in the ass mm. and is just a different element as opposed to a guy who is not really physical – like, just, just a guy that's a pain in the ass. I think Braden Chen, I think he's a really talented player. But I also think he's a pain in the ass. 
Well, and they had one of those guys, Jeff. Like they had they had Kadri, who was a bit of a pain in the ass, but obviously there were some different things that impacted that. Well, I think the suspension didn't help that, and I think yeah. that they wanted to move out the number of like he was making. I don't know. I don't know what happened there, but you're right. That was a different element for the Leafs because there's not a lot of guys that would go into the corner and try to drill a guy through the boards. So that's the kind of player that I think about. It's like the defenseman, you know, Manson, I don't think has had his best year in Anaheim, but he's a guy that, you know, plays. And like, I was talking a couple of years ago about an adding a D and I was like, what about a guy like Niskanen who is, he's a good player. He, he can make a pass. He can play in the power play, but he's also just like a bit of a pain in the ass. I don't know. I always just think, and I listen, I used to be physical as far as body checking, but I wasn't a, like a fighter or a goon or I'm not asking for rock'em sock'em hockey, but when you got to watch every game every night and you see what wins and what doesn't, you ultimately come down to um, observations and conclusions to what you think can win. And I think that element of guys that are physical and a pain and will be in your face. I think, I think you need it. But don't you think like, so Jeff, like let's, let's imagine like you're still playing and you're, you're about to face the Leafs in a playoff series. What part of you would be like, fuck, like this team could blow, blow us off the table with all that offensive firepower. And what part of you is thinking, you know what, like if I get into the corner with William Nylander, I'm going to win the puck battle. Like, is it? Yeah. And I'm also going to chop him in the arm and say, I'm going to break your leg next shift. (laughs) But I don't think that, I don't think that stuff happens because he doesn't seem to be a guy that. And he's had a great year, and he's been he's been awesome. He's had the puck the whole time, but his competitiveness disappears at times, and that's the bottom line. So, what you say, I would say, playing the Leafs right now, you would say, let's see if they want to compete for seven games, because they may want to compete for two periods, one game, and then blow us out, and then not the third period or the next game. It's just kind of like the Boston series; they kind of picked their places when they wanted to compete and be good. Mm-hmm. But I guess I don't know. I guess like whoever looks at it is going to say, Jeff, they're one game away from beating the Boston Bruins both years. So yeah, just keep trying and doing it again. And maybe, maybe that's the case, but I don't think getting a guy like Kreider or somebody else to punch Char in the face once in a while, or to punch David Backus in the face or punch Brad Marchand in the face. <laughs> like there's another example, Brad Marchand's one of the best players. He's a pain in the ass. Who was like that when you played? There was five guys on every team that was like that. I mean, Darcy Tucker was a good example. He could score a goal. He could fight. He could hit. Um, Gary Roberts was an unbelievable, talented player who could skate. He could hit. He could fight. That's like that, that's the difference. The way the game has gone, there's not really that element to it anymore. It's just like score and skate and be fit, and that's the way it goes. That's what I wonder, Jeff. Like, I wonder, like, maybe hockey just continues to keep going in that direction. Like, one of the interesting trends I've noticed the last few years is that uh, defensemen keep getting smaller and smaller. Like, if you just look at their their height and their weight, and there's more and more guys that are under six feet tall that are defensemen in the league. Like, yeah, what? Because, yeah. Like, the game is changing dramatically. If you look at the St. Louis Blues last year, if you look at the St. Louis Blues the last year, they had a defense core that were all kind of, I think Mike Babcock used the term. They had length and they were tall guys with long reaches. And I think that makes a big difference. Obviously, you've got to be able to move in your own zone. But your stick length and your, just the length of the defenseman, it kind of eliminates time and space. Because guys are just like, Charu was the worst. He was the biggest pain in the ass to play against because he could be a step behind, but his stick was 10 feet long and he would still take it off you or poke check you. So I think that 
Smaller guys can play in the league. Tyson Berry is a great player. Spurgeon in Minnesota is a good player. There's all Tory Krug's a great player. But you know, if you can have some guys with some length, but if you notice Boston, their small guy will generally be with a big guy. I think Krug plays with Carlo. McAvoy plays with Chara. Um, mm-hmm. Who would their other pairing be? It's Grizzlick and and uh, Moore and somebody. Who? I think John Moore. Whatever it was, it would always be that skilled guy with a big guy that was physical, and and that really I, I noticed that, and it's like, wow, that's that's great thinking, and that's good management of who you're playing guys with. Have different elements on each pairing, and it it, it obviously works good for them. Well, that's one of the things like we were talking about Tyson Berry earlier, Jeff, and like that's one of the things looking at him. Physically, like you see him off the ice without his gear, he is not much bigger than me. Like he's thicker, but he's not that big. And like it just feels like there are limits to like obviously if that guy's in the corner against you, you're gonna keep the puck from him. Like he's just not gonna be able to knock you off the puck. Like what limits do you think there there are for a guy like that when you get into like playoff hockey? No, I played with you know the GM of the Boston Bruins wasn't a very big defenseman, but he was competitive and it's stick position and body position. I mean, there were some times where you could expose him, Don Sweeney, and knock him on his ass. But mm-hmm. there were other times just positionally smart and not allow certain things or get you into certain areas. But, I mean, Brian Rafalski was another one. He was just very clever. He would read the play. Nick Lidstrom, I think, other than Bob Yours, the greatest defenseman to ever play, he never really hit anybody because he is so ahead of the play in his stick position and his hockey sense. It allowed him to not be physical. I think there was one. I was remember watching a playoff series when he played, and he hit somebody, and the guy said, "That's only a second hit in this series." <laughs> for for a defenseman playing that much, that's incredible. Who has the puck the whole time? So that's well, what think... you got to do. It's, it's hockey <clears throat> smarts and, and and positioning on the ice, stick position, and that's how you defend yourself. Some of the like the size stuff too is misleading in hockey, right? Because it's a lot of it's about balance and. You, you oh, know, yeah. like you can be like, like I find I'm I'm six five and I play beer league and I get knocked on my ass all the time because I'm not well, look I'm at a not, guy like Sidney Crosby too, James. Like yes. he, he's not the, like, well, if, if he was a rookie when I first like four or five years into my career, guys would be like, look how small that guy is. But he's yeah. a tank like he yeah. you can't knock him off the puck. And he's another guy who's ultra skilled, the best player in the game or second best player behind McDavid. And he's one of the hardest working pains in the ass in the corners you'll ever find. Hmm. Well, that actually brings to mind a question. What, what, if you were talking to like Austin Matthews and he said, like Jeff, you watch my game every night. What's one thing like you would like me to add to my game? I would like him to add a B game. His A plus game is the, some of the best in the world, but he also has outings that are invisible, which is as a star player you just can't do. You got to have Ronnie Francis had a great breakdown. I think he said he wanted to have sixty five or sixty seven really good games, and then. You know, you're going to have a couple stinkers, but then there's going to be a couple where you're just, you know. But he's got to have his A-plus game, and then his B game has got to be good. Where it's like a couple chances that don't work out, but people are like, wow, he's he's out there. But he can't. he's got to try to avoid those games where it's like, where is this guy? Like just floating around, non-competitive. That's what I would say. And I don't know why, but... Once in a while, I think he's got, I think he's seen it a couple of years. Like, just throw some body checks and let people know, don't come near me. It might give him some space. Je- Jeff, did you ever think when you retired from hockey that you'd have, be hosting the, the Drive radio show on TSN radio? No, I didn't. I didn't like the people in the media. They all drove me nuts. Steve Simmons is a friend of mine. I couldn't stand him. I thought James Duffy was a nerd. 
um, the whole nine, all of them. Because I don't know, it was just like they they get to do whatever they want and write whatever they want. But I was always like, they don't really ask some questions to find out why or how. And I was just one of those things. The media kind of bugged me. And then the opportunity came and I somehow ended up in it. And I don't know how, but that's the way it goes. You well, just so- need to get a job when you're done playing. Now, some people do. And that, that's what I picked. But so, how has your perspective of the media changed? Then, like, well, like obviously, your perspective of some of the people is different. But like, seeing behind the scenes a little bit more, like, do you you must be more sympathetic to kind of what we're trying to do with the game? I, I understand that, and I, what I also understand is I understand that guys have moms that read the paper and watch Sports Center, and they they got to watch that. And my mom didn't like it when somebody went on there and said, "Wow, what's this guy up to?" But I understand from my position that. I got to kind of just tell what I think is happening. Cause I know when a guy's had a bad game, I know when a guy doesn't try to play, I know when it's unacceptable or not acceptable. And I don't want to use words like, uh, in- unfortunate, like it's just, it's just a bad play. If you, you just throw a pizza up the middle, it's not unfortunate. You made a bad play. And I don't think that's that bad to say. You're not saying the guy's a bad person. He's a good hockey player, a good guy who made a bad play. And I personally don't think there's anything wrong with saying that. But why do you think so many guys actually do have like trouble being honest after their playing career is done? You know what I find funny, Jonas, when I hear from like, I have only heard it a couple of times, but somebody bitching and complaining about all, oh, you know, I always say, how come I never hear from you when, when I like pump his tires and do a breakdown huh. of all his good goals and his, yeah. like how good he's been playing. And then one, one bad stretch and you make a comment. It's like, Oh, that's unfair. Well, why aren't you calling me when he, the positive stuff's happening. I don't get now, that. I've never understood that. Now you sound like a media person, Jeff. I'm, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, un- it is weird to say, James, but unfortunately, not unfortunately, but that is that is what I am now. I'm in the media. It's not unfortunate. It's been great. You're doing a great job. And I mean, it's like, I remember when you started, you were doing like kind of like the, the pregame and postgame shows on the radio and... Um, yeah, with with <laughs> with yes guy, and I used to go on with you sometimes. That was when you were just kind of getting started, and you didn't, you weren't really sure about how things worked or what was going to happen. And then now you're, you know, you're on the the game broadcasts, and you're on overdrive, and you're on the billboards when you drive around downtown. I mean, it's it's good. I mean, you know, you worked hard, and I think that authenticity where you're not afraid to speak the tr- I was going to say the truth, your truth, like what you think is happening. I think that 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 resonates with people. Yeah, you, you had a difficult time, James, saying the truth, didn't you? You, had to, you stopped yourself and said your truth. Well, we were talking about disagree. I mean, sometimes I don't no, agree with fair. you, but it's, it's like interesting. Statement. Like, yeah. Well, I guess it's better than working there for two years and then saying them saying you suck at this, so get another job. I guess it's better than that. It's not easy. It's not easy to be in the media. No. I think that's a misconception: is that you just go on the radio and you just say a bunch of stuff, or you go on TV and no, you say I, no. It's difficult, well, I do, but yeah. Okay, well, before we get you, Jeff, go ahead, Jonas. So I was just going to say, like, we'll get you out of here. You got a show to get ready for. So I just wanted to ask you one thing. My favorite thing sometimes when I do overdrive is when I get to ask you questions about your career. So I wanted to ask you about the the O2 Cup final. I was looking through your game log, the triple OT. You played 39 minutes. What do you remember about that game? <laughs> Jonas, that's that never happened. I don't think that happened. Somebody in the organization like went through that and it's just not true. <laughs> what do you mean? You didn't play that much? No, I think it might've been rigged. I don't know. Triple overtime. Maybe I played that much, but 
there was one game where guys were bugging me saying, oh, you got the record for uh, most minutes, and then somebody from Carolina. I'll have to check with it, and I'll get back to you, but I'm pretty sure it's not. Yeah. A lot of the accounting for, like, the ice time back then was pretty shitty, so that that definitely could like be guys, true. Yeah, guys were doing it at home and writing down whatever they want. Well, so what do you remember about the cup final then? Uh, I just remember that we won the first game, and I thought there was a chance, and then Detroit came back, and if we won that triple overtime game where Larry Onoff scored, I thought we would have had a chance to win the series. But ultimately, whoever won that game, because Detroit was older, like they, they had a bunch of older guys. And I think we could have really taken the momentum out of them. And we just didn't do it. And they scored with like a minute left. Brad Hall tipped one in. And then Larry Onoff to win it in overtime. But if we had a, if, if we had a won that one to go up 2-1, I think we could have had a chance to, to get two more and, and like take the sales out of them, but they steamrolled us after that and it was over pretty quickly. Do you, Jeff? Do you have like a a regret when you look back at your career? Is there something that stands out to you that you wish maybe went a little bit differently? Oh yeah, I have tons. Like just taking the game a little bit more seriously, and I did take my craft seriously. But you look at a guy. If I could, if I could have been more of a Gary Roberts, then you know good time charlie that worked hard on the ice and worked harder off the ice you know who knows what the results would have been differently i always kind of compared myself to certain players and i don't really want to share who i thought those were but some of them are going into the hall of fame so when you have kind of comparables in your head where you think you're as good as a guy and you're doing talk radio and he's going in the hall of fame it's you have some regrets what why is it why is that part difficult some for some players to just find that is is that just like a personality thing or like obviously gary roberts is an extreme example because gary's gary's a unique person but like like why is it so hard to to find like i see that with young players all the time that they come in and they have so much talent and they don't always put in what they need to to get to where they can get get to yeah i don't know it's just a it's just that engine gene you know, there's guys that have the clutch gene where no matter what, they're going to score the big goal. And there's other guys that just have that gene where they're going to work harder than everybody else. I mean, I don't know. I can't explain that one, but you'd like to tell kids, you can just put in the work. You can play for 10 years and you and your parents and maybe your cousin can go to Hawaii and retire for the rest of your life. Hmm. All right. Well, you got to get ready for the show, I think, and... We've taken too much of your time for our silly little podcast. I love the podcast, fellas, and I'll come on anytime <laughs> you want. Hey, so have you ever listened to the podcast? I had. I got to ask you that. Never. <laughs> sure. Well, well, we appreciate <laughs> appreciate you playing along and saying you love the podcast. <laughs> All right, guys, we'll talk soon. Thanks. Uh, well, that was fun. Jeff is great. Like, obviously, the best part about Jeff is he is honest. He just tells you what he thinks. Like, there's never. In media, like you fans know it, we know it. Like you can tell when someone is telling you what they think and when they're telling you what they think they should say, or Jeff is like all genuine, and that's what's so fun talking to him. It's and it's been interesting to get to know him and kind of you know go back and forth. Like we've we've Jeff and I have had long debates and arguments, and sometimes on the air, lots of times off the air. You know, he called me one night at like midnight and was asking all these questions about expected goals. And like the thing, the thing I see with Jeff is like he cares. Like he's, he's not just a former player who's just going on TV and mailing it in. And like he's, 
he's he loves hockey and he loves learning about this stuff and while I, I get that like some fans he's not their cup of tea and they disagree with him and whatever I mean you can't deny that he's entertaining and you can't deny that you know I think that he brings something of value to to the broadcasts well and he's not like some of the I don't know media people especially in hockey who are looking at numbers and such and saying nope nope like not like not giving it any time of day not giving it any thought and, and thinking there's nothing to it and it's not real. I think what he's trying to do is is meld the two. He's obviously coming from a different place than we are, but I don't think he's so averse to seeing it and trying to understand it, if that makes sense. No, and it's like, I feel like some people dismiss it just out of, I don't know, of maybe it's like a fear or they don't understand it or Jeff doesn't act afraid of things he doesn't understand. Like he's... He's so comfortable in his own skin that he's not threatened by someone having a much different perspective. And yeah. anyway, I don't know. It's that's why he's an interesting guest for us to have on because, like, obviously we're not going to agree about stuff, but it can be a conversation, not like a, you know, not not like a yelling match or whatever. That that you know, it, it would be with some other people. I think there, and I think there's legitimacy to some of the stuff that he's saying. Like I. I do think there is something in the playoffs that that changes where the intensity picks up, but I'm not sure if that has to do with you having a skill team or if that's with you having a team that like has a bunch of players who, I don't know if you want to call them second effort players who are going to fight to get the puck back. Like you don't need to be physical, like in terms of size or throwing the body to get the puck back. Like, Neilander's a really good example. Like when he fights to get the puck back and he uses his stick and he uses his like angles and agility, he can get the puck back like as, as well as anyone. You, you, you know, know what I'm saying? Ex- like, you know who a good example is, Jonas, is someone like Zach Hyman. Like it's not just sure. about the finesse, you know, you know, nice play, toe drag, you know, like their effort matters but the the thing i would argue though is that like that stuff shows up like zach hyman's a very good corsi possession expected goals player he's a very good facilitator for like like that stuff shows up in the numbers like the numbers aren't saying don't have guys that work hard and dig in the corners and get the puck back i mean so that that that's where i that some of the criticism sometimes of the analytics is frustrating because i think that the analytics they do pull out the guys like patrice bergeron and 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 Justin Williams and like guys that are really really good in those situations. Yeah, and I think there's there's a misunderstanding on of that. I think in in general for people who aren't as ingrained in it as you and I are, but there are there are also examples of guys and and I've made this mistake and I've learned from it. Like when you looked at like Connor Carrick's possession numbers when he was in Toronto, and you compared them to Roman Polak. Well, you like you have to add context to that, and that was like. A conversation that I had once with Mike Babcock where it was like, you need to kind of consider who he's playing against and where he's playing and what situations. So that's where I think the numbers um, can sometimes trick you if you're not providing context. But to bring it back to the Leafs, I wonder like if you're Kyle Dubas and like you, maybe there's a part of you that believes some of what Jeff is saying and, and part of you believes, you know what? We could use a little bit more of that. The question I would have then does one player make a difference? Like, are you not just who you are and is, is adding Chris Kreider or someone of that vein really going to change the the complexity of your team? 
Well, I think the Leafs look different when Muzzin's in a lineup and when he's not. I mean, there's a guy that's on the ice for you know right. a, a large portion of the game at even strength. I think that the example that he used was Detroit, and I think that's an interesting one because he talked about, yeah, they had lots of skill guys and whatever, but they had Chelios and they had Draper and they had Maltby and McCarty and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, but those guys were kind of like depth guys. Like, I wonder if the Leafs, if if their depth, some of their depth players were, had a little bit more of that kind of element to their game, if yeah. if that would make a difference, as opposed to, as opposed to just going... Well, James, all skill on every pair and every line, which I know that I know that that's not what Kyle Dubas is trying to do. Isn't that what Boston is? Like, look at Boston's bottom two lines. It's all like pluggers like it's Chris Wagner and it's and I'm not saying do that. Like, I'm not saying that's like the way to win. But but look at Boston like Boston has like they've got some skill up top. They don't have as much depth of skill, but their bottom guys are all kind of like they're they're hard to play against in that that vein you're talking about. Like, maybe you're right. Like, maybe you need it. Maybe that's the way to go on the, your bottom line in particular. Well, I think like perfect world. I think that you have guys that have good analytics and they have grit and they have. Yeah. But and and I've heard Kyle Dubas say this before. Like those guys are hard to get. But the Leafs probably do need some some more of that element. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if that's what they try and get before the deadline or or in the offseason. All right. Well, this has been fun. Uh, next week we'll be back. I'll be on the road, so I think I'll be in Dallas when we talk. Maybe when I get home. Well, I guess we'll decide. All right. Sounds good. Get back right, into get back into some games. They play Nashville on Monday, right? So you know, it's not yeah. that the breaks the breaks winding down here pretty quick. Yeah, we can break down the All Star game. <laughs> I don't. I don't think I'm going to watch it, Jonas. I do not either. All right, so we will talk next week. Thank you to everybody for listening, and thanks, obviously, to the O-Dog. I'm sure he'll be listening back to this to see how it sounded. (laughs) (laughs)